So at Redemption, we like to uh, teach God's Word, and part of how we honor God is by standing as it's read. So we have a special guest. Jameson is going to be our scripture reader this morning. So would you, if you're able, would you stand and open up to Matthew chapter 2? Jameson has a big undertaking. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 1 all the way through verse 12, and we're going to be page 471, if you have a blue Bible under your... Thanks, now, J-Mo. now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the day of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw, <laughs> we saw his star when it rose and it had came to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he is trou- was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them when, where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are no mean by no mean least among the ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod summoned the wise men, the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, "Go and search." Diligently for the child, and when, when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest. Rest over the place where the child was. What the heck? (laughs) I'll hold it. Behold the star when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, with his mother, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frequency and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed into their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Jameson. Cook. Oh, that was phenomenal. Well done. Thank you, Jameson. Oh, what a great way to start the sermon. So that is the story we're walking through, the story of the wise men. It's a famous story. If you've ever had an advent or a, uh, a nativity scene in your house, if you have one now, this story plays into that. You've probably got camels, which may or may not be a true rendering of this story. You've got these wise men. They're usually wearing king, kingly attire. Uh, but that's what this story is. 
the wise men coming to visit Jesus. I was reading a blog the other day about just Christian understanding of the biblical story and specifically the retelling of Jesus' birth story. And it said somewhere like 35% of Christians can't really retell the story of Jesus' birth, which is crazy to think. I read another one that said 95% of Americans celebrate Christmas. We set, Christmas is everywhere. And Jesus, the story of Jesus is sort of fluttering in the air, but more and more we have less and less of a culture where we can actually retell the details of this particular story. And that's what we're looking at today is this story. What do I want to do, though? I'm not going to drill down and kind of unpack the facts of the wise men. I want to just see what the wise men are pointing us to. And I think it's this idea of worship. There's a quote from an uh, author who has since passed away, very quirky, sort of postmodern uh, writer, who dabbled in religion a lot of his life. I don't think he ever landed. But here's what he says about worship. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. David Foster Wallace. His point is there's not a subsect of humanity that are worshipers, and then you, the analytical, rational thinker, are not a worshiper like those crazy church people. Everybody, part of being human is this desire for something more, this desire to worship, to prostrate down is the biblical word, before something. We want to give our lives to something. I'd like to hang out with younger guys who are sort of on the upswing of life and just try to be a wise old guy in their life or whatever wisdom I can give. And I meet with this one guy who's just killing it in real estate. I mean, every time I meet with him, he sold another $8 million house and just dominating. And we have the same conversation over and over and over again because he's always got this angst. He's like, you know what I think I need? I said, I told you what you need. I've told you every time we met for the last two years, you need to get in a church and be around guys who aren't impressed with you and be around people who point you to Jesus, period. I'll pay for the bill this time, and we'll meet again in a couple weeks. He has this issue of, like, there's something more. And he's like, I think I should volunteer. I think Habitat or some version of giving myself away is what's missing. And David Foster Wallace would say, no, you're just a worshiper who hasn't landed on something that can actually be worshipped in a sustaining sort of way. He goes on to say in this quote, it's not going to be on the screen, but he talks about religion and why it's the most appealing option for worship. The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ, Allah, Yahweh, a wicked God, whatever other sort of God or choose you can pick, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you look for real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You will never feel like you have enough. It's just the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And he says, time and life will show again and again that this is true. We are worshipers, and yet we worship things that fail us all the time. And as we come to the birth story of Jesus, we see this random story of these men from the east. And what is their journey all about? It's a journey for worship. Where do I see that? We'll put a verse on the screen. What are they about? It says this, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. What are their motives? I don't know. But they've come because somebody somewhere has been talking about this king of the Jews, and they want to come and worship them. So as we walk through the story, here's what I want to do. I just want to make some observations about true worship. Because Foster Wallace says, everybody worships. So there's a sense of false worship in the world and true worship. True worship would be this, would be any worship that begins, is sustained, and ends at the feet with the person of Jesus, period. 
And false worship would be anything that takes you away from that reality. So we're all worshipers. We want to worship Jesus better, more fully, more richly, more authentically, more genuinely. We all want that if we're followers of Jesus. So I want to pray and ask God to just help us learn how to worship him and why to worship him more. So let's bow and pray. God, give us space as we pause from our week to come and to submit ourselves to you through your word, through this teaching. It's a posture we all want to be humble. We express ourselves as needy people in this moment that don't have all the answers, that need direction and guidance. So this gathering is an act of worship to you where we collectively say we need you. Lead us, guide us. So do that through your word this morning, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So again, I'm just going to walk through, make six observations of what I see out of true worship here. And here's the first one. It's right there in verse one. Go with it to me. Jameson did a wonderful job. Verse one says this. It sets, sets the context. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Anthony taught last week, did a great job. Fast forward now. Chapter 2, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Pause right there. How much time has passed? So the baby was just born, and then we're right in this next chapter, and now wise men have come from the east. So this is where the nativity scene in most homes goes awry, because it's all in the manger, all the wise men, everybody's crammed in there. And if you look at chapter 2 of Matthew, you get a different story. Few context. So the house is no longer the manger. So they've moved on. Jewish purification would have had Mary being purified for 40 days. So at least 40 days has passed. They're now in a new house. It's no longer referenced as a baby. The word in Greek there for child is a small child, an infant child. So we're thinking months up to two years old. And based off next week's sermon, probably two years or under. So time has passed. And these guys come from the east. We're at in the east. Probably Persia, modern-day Iraq. So coming from modern-day Iraq, you're talking about 500-mile journey these men have taken. All the nativity scenes I ever grew up with are camels. A lot of people think, wrong, it was probably horses. Nothing to go to war over or start a new denomination over. Like, we are the <laughs> true camel men of the Bible society. No, who, who cares? It's, a, it's an animal probably, or they walked. We'll ask them one day, potentially. But it's a long time. What is Matthew's point? Here's what's fascinating about the Bible I've learned later on is each of these gospel writers and writers get to kind of leave out stuff. They get to choose what to put in by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and they get to choose what to leave out. So they get to form their story to make a certain point. And Matthew is the only one talking about these wise men far, far, far from the east. What is this point? Here's, we had a Jewish guy in the last service and he was amen in this part, but Matthew is Jewish. And he's writing particularly to a Jewish audience about a Jewish king. This is a very Jewish book. And I can see the Jewish friend I have in the back. Like, yeah! What is the point of a very Jewish book talking about the wise men? This is, what's the point? The wise men from the east are Gentiles, non-Jews. Matthew's whole point is not geographical distance or filling some version of a nativity scene. His point is this. Jewish brothers and sisters, know this. The first people to worship our king were Gentiles. They came from far, far away. True worship begins at a distance for all of us. 
That's just how it works. Nobody is born at the feet of Jesus worshiping properly. We all come from a distance. And Matthew wants to make it abundantly clear. Jewish people, just so you know, the people worshiping the king of the Jews are Gentiles. And that's how the kingdom of God works. Anybody from anywhere, no matter how far away, can come and worship at the feet of Jesus. I wrote this down just to reflect on. Like, do you remember how far away you were when Jesus brought you to his feet? It looks different for all of us, but the reality is we all traveled like the wise men to get to the feet of Jesus. And part of Advent is stopping and remembering God's faithfulness as we look back at the first Advent and reflecting on our own lives within that. But do you remember how far you came? Some of us, it was far. Some of us have some gnarly stories. But also, here's where I'm convicted. Who in your life do you think is too far east to ever get into a house of worship to worship King Jesus? Like, I, I see growth in my life, but I also see a lot of judgment just that just does not go away. And I kind of, eh, that guy's never. That, that girl? No way. Like, Redemption Church was founded by a guy named Tom Schrader who got saved, became a Christian, started following Jesus in his 40s. He was doing commercial real estate, living the life, has a ton of great parties. He's since passed away, but he tells a ton of great party stories. I don't know how you can tell party stories in heaven, but I'm sure he's got, found a way to tell them. Like, he would party hard. And there was this Bible study at his work the whole time. And he becomes a Christian. And then he comes back one day and says, hey, guys, I just want to ask you, like, why did you never invite me to this thing? I just met Jesus. I love him. I love the Bible. And they said... We didn't think a guy like you would ever come to Jesus. We thought you were too far east to ever get to Bethlehem. All of us come from a distance. True worship starts at a distance for all of us. Here's the next thing we see. True worship needs more than a place. It needs a person. Where do these people land? So in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. What is going on here? These wise men come, travel hundreds of miles, and they land in Jerusalem. So a lot of people do a lot of research on these wise men, and they come up with a little bit of information. What do we know? Not a ton, but we know it's like a priestly group from this Medes empire. So we had the Babylonian empire, Persian empire. Medes was part in there with the Persian, but they're this priestly group. So very smart sort of uh, priestly, high and lifted up group. They were also into science and a religion, and not in a way like we think today where there's like, I, don't, I can't believe in science and religion. Back then, it was all intermingled. So they studied astrology and astronomy. One of them sounds like, oh, that's weird, and the other one sounds like science. They studied both. They were very smart, very bright, gifted men. They also were part of empires that had taken Jewish people captivity, specifically this famous guy, Daniel, who has a whole book in the Bible. And Daniel and others like Daniel are telling the Jewish story about a God who created all things, about man who rebelled and broke it all, and a God who came down and promised and promised and promised and promised and promised and promised. And he is going to show up one day in the person of the Messiah, the King of the Jews. So they have whisperings of that. They've got all their science. I say that to say they are gifted, smart, wise guys. I just finished Elon Musk's biography, and it was fascinating because it talks about how he gets his talent. And basically, he does what you think someone would do. He goes headhunting. He goes to all these Ivy Leagues, and he finds the seniors doing the greatest projects, greatest work, and he says, do you want to work for me? Come. And he puts them to work. The wise men were the brightest 
people around. So these are not slouches. These are not goofy cavemen reading religious literature. These are gifted men. Why do I say all that? Because they land in Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? Religious leaders, civil leaders, cultural leaders. Like Jerusalem is the center. It's the New York. It's the L.A. It's the spot to go for Jews. However, there's one thing not there. Better yet, one person, Jesus. It's just fascinating in God's story where he gives these little hints like, just so you know, none of you are going to get to me on your own. The wise men with all the resources land in Jerusalem about six miles away from where the king of the world sleeps. The journey can get us close, and it still cannot, we could still miss it. Like I think about people in this room right now. I don't know some of you. I don't know all of your stories. But we can get into a church service. We can get into a mentor relationship with somebody trying to tell us about Jesus and his story and the word. We can get really close to the things of God. Hebrews talks about tasting of the spirit, like getting close. These men are close. But until you get to Jesus, there's nothing to worship. Jerusalem offered nothing to worship, nothing to lay their gifts at. Because true worship lands in a person. Now, here's one thing I want to tell, and this is only for a subsect of this, young married people. I just did another wedding yesterday. We are like marrying people like, like that. It's crazy. And I see the joy, and they're like, marriage! You know, you've been married a few years, you're like, marriage. <laughs> but here's a mistake I made and my wife partially made, but we wanted to be married so bad, and we, marriage was the gift that we were looking forward to. And it is a beautiful gift. And I think of all the relational gifts in the world, it's maybe the closest thing to getting to this thing we're looking for in Jesus, this intimate relationship where he knows all of me, I know all of him. Marriage is like the closest, even Ephesians talks about that. But we got to a point where we had made it the ultimate thing, like this is the thing. And just know it's not the thing. Jesus is the thing. Because about two, three years in, we looked at each other, we're like, it seems like we're wanting too much out of this. Like, and we, there's no like, decision you make. You know, I'm going to start worshiping my spouse and not Jesus. So you just kind of fall into it because it's a great gift. But Jesus, the wise men got to Jerusalem close. I can get close to the things of God in my relationship with Aubrey, but if it's not taking me to Jesus, it's missing the point because worship needs a person. Here's the third thing I see. True worship is always led by the hand of God. Where do I see that? Go to verse 2. How these wise men get here. For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They're in the east. They're in Iraq. They see a star. They follow the star with all their wisdom, all their knowledge, all their resources, and they get to Jerusalem. Go down to verse 9. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The star guided them from the east, got them to Jerusalem. They realize he's not there, and that same star takes them to Bethlehem, about six miles away. Think about going from here to PV Mall or here to Metro Center. So they land at Citizens Church. We're here for the king. He's at PV Mall. And they watch the star, and it gets them to Jesus. The star is a very cool part of the story. But the star served its purpose. I remember when I was early on in my faith, people around Christmas time would give me this movie. I don't know if it's still around. The Star of Bethlehem. And it's like all this study on the Star of Bethlehem. 
Like, if that was, if that's your Christmas gift for me, just know it's going to be a white elephant gift at some point. <laughs> I'm not that into stars or space or any of that. And also, this star served its purpose. It was to take a few men from the east to the king, and it did its job. And God wants us to know this. The wisest of men, the wisest of women, the, the greatest the world has to offer needs the Lord's guidance to go from worshiping false things to worshiping true things. And God used this star as a sign to bring him there. It's like me and my wife took our kids to uh, Fort Worth like six years ago. All four kids, Ozzy's like eight months old. We're like, all right, we got to do it at some point. We do it. And it's a 16-hour drive. So we start at night and just flying through. And I see the Fort Worth sign, and I just lose my mind. But I did not pull over. Yes! And just stare at the sign. It was just meant to get me, hey, you're really close. And God has all these ways of using signs, stars, to take us and say, you're close. You're in a church. Great. But if you're not worshiping Jesus, you're not there yet. You're in Jerusalem, great, you're close, but it's not Bethlehem. You need to be at the feet of Jesus. And God is still using stars. I, this passage out of Matthew, Matthew or Jesus says this about us followers of Jesus. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Part of this Advent season is spent looking back. I'd encourage you to look back on the stars God has used in your life to bring you to a place of worship at the feet of Jesus. Here's the fourth thing I see. is true worship is never going to be the norm. Where do I see that? Go to verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, so they're there in Jerusalem. They show up on camels or horses, depending on which denomination you're part of. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Pause right there. Everything before this is like, great. Stars, and worship, and traveling to go see a king. And then ee, verse 3, real life hits. And they show up in Jerusalem, and there's hate. King Herod wants to find Jesus to kill him. And there's all the religious leaders. It says, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. What are they doing? The king of the Jews is here, and they have to go like, hey, can you... Stop your pickleball game for a second. I want to talk to you about this thing. Like, what do I learn from this? There is a, a real sense of, like, true worship of Jesus is always going to be the minority outsider position until Jesus comes back and makes all things new. But even in the birth story of Jesus, we see that we, worshiping Jesus, is not the norm. We're going to walk through hate and indifference often. It's part of what makes... Being a follower of Christian, Jesus is so hard. It's part of what makes just coming to a church gathering so hard. Is there's all these things vying for our attention, trying to push us away from worshiping Jesus. Like even my kids already see this. Roman is in third grade. He is the sweetest kid in the world. Knows people, kind of senses things. And he came home the other day and he made this assessment. Desert Cove has four Christians in the third grade. I'm like, how would you make that? What judgmental questions did you ask? <laughs> Did you go with the heaven hell? What, what? His point in his sweet way is like, my thing isn't the main thing. And Elijah's in middle school, and he's already like looking at social groups, and he can see like, not everyone's a Christian. Like, as a matter of fact, my life would probably be easier if like, 
I could just pick socially without having to decide where I stand with Jesus. And that's true across the board. You're in your 30s, you're in your 40s, you're in your 50s. It's always a just like you walk through hate and indifference to worship the king. That's just how it is. Luke Simmons is my mentor. He was the pastor at the church I came from. And I can remember two messages vividly he preached. One was after the Sandy Hook shooting where he talked about the vengeance of God. And the other one was after his sabbatical. He got a sabbatical after like eight years on the job, went away for like 10 weeks. And he comes back and he is fired up. He spent time in Ohio. Called. He did all these great things. Went to all these car, roller coaster rides. All, just anything you can imagine he did. But he comes back with this reality. He's like, nothing in this world is bringing me into a transcendent meeting with the God of the universe. Nothing. In fact, everything is kind of pushing the transcendence of God out. Squeezing it out. That's what we see here. The wise men come. And they're not, there's not a celebration of King Jesus. They have to keep digging to get to Bethlehem. How do they actually get there, though? The fifth thing we see is true worship is only found as you open the word. Go to verse 5 with me together. Verse 5. They told him. So he's, they're there in Bethlehem. Some guys hate him. Most people are indifferent, but they know the stuff. It's like religious leaders who know the answers. And these guys are giving the answer. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, how do they know that? For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. These men have come from far, hundreds of miles. They're in Jerusalem. They're so close. What gets them to worship at the feet of the king? Somebody says, I remember this one story. Our people have been telling stories forever. And was it? it was Micah. Let me go to Micah. And Micah says, in Bethlehem, you will find your ruler. Go to Bethlehem. How did they get to true worship? Somebody opened the book. Not so that our worship could end here. We are not called to worship the book. We worship the one we meet in the book. In the story. That's part of why God doesn't give us any of the original documents of the Bible. They're all like copies down the road. Because if we had the actual copy, we would have burned this place down fighting to have it. But we meet Jesus in the Word. But you have to open up the Word. David Foster Wallace, let me tell you about worship. I don't have a lot, but I can open this up and I will tell you about the one who is worthy to be worshiped. This is all I got. This is it. Like, is that your life? Like, people just, at your core, what do you have? If it's not this, it's going to fail you. If it's not found in here, it's going to fail you. It's not going to lead you. You're going to be in Jerusalem with a lot of great things and parties and religious leaders and church services and all this stuff. But without Jesus, unless you open this. Jesus' most famous sermon, which is loved universally for the most part. Sermon on the Mount. Christians love it. Non-Christians love it because it's all about life. In the kingdom of God. Oh, I love that picture. About peace and blessedness. But it ends very specifically. This is Jesus' last words after that sermon. Blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you. Blessed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Everyone's like, all right, I want to be blessed. Jesus in Matthew 7 says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And if you don't, 
hear my words and do them. It's like you built your life, your house, your job, everything about you on the sand, period. What's Jesus' point? You need to go to the book. The wise men got close, but if they did not open the book, if somebody did not have Micah chapter 5 to go to, they never would have got to the king. We need his word. And then finally we have this. True worship is always going to involve our treasures. Let's finish this story out. Verse 7 there. So they're there. They're told someone opens up the scroll of Micah. Oh, Bethlehem. Okay. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Same word. I want to come worship him. We'll see next week he's not telling the truth. Verse 9. What do these wise men do? After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. The images, faces on the ground in worship. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. How's this story end? Part of it we know well, if we've kind of heard the Christmas story told. They bring gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What's gold? It's this gift for a king, people would say. You are the king. It's their way to sort of foreshadow. We know who you are. So we think. And frankincense is this incense, comes from the east, this fine thing used for sort of worship in ritualistic ways. They'd burn incense to the gods. And we give you frankincense. You are God. And myrrh, which is this odd-like gift that's used in burials. People say it's their way to forecast, foreshadow that he is a man who is going to die. Either way, here's what we see. They bring the very best from where they're at. And they lay it at his feet. And they give a picture of how this world is going to go down when it's all said and done. When it's all said and done, when Jesus comes back and brings heaven to earth, what is life going to look like? It's going to look like this picture right here of worship. Not Chandler on song 1986 singing again. I love Chandler and I love his voice and I love music. But if that's all we're looking forward to and it's all said and done, I don't want to be there. Revelation says it is life perfectly. And it's everybody from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, from non-religious background, from Mexico, from Africa, from Antarctica, if anybody's living there. Anyone from anywhere comes to the king, to the city of Jerusalem where he dwells. And what do they do there? They bring their gifts. Says this, by the light of Jerusalem, the nations will walk. And the kings of the earth are going to bring their glory into it, the city of Jerusalem. And those gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of their nations. Translation, all the nations are going to get to lay their gifts at the feet of the king. Like, what does that look like? Whatever your gifts are. My wife has this incredible eye for hospitality and how to take something and make it softer. And she's going to get to lay that at the feet of Jesus. For eternity, when the new heavens and the new earth are here. Some of you have a gift of just being with people. You're going to lay that gift. We're not just going to sing a worship song over and over. We're going to worship him with our actions, with all of our treasure. We're going to give it to him forever. 
And that's what the wise men picture for us as they end up at the feet of this small child, Jesus. Here's the question that is not answered in this text, though. They worshiped externally. They gave their gifts. But there's no interaction of what was going on in their heart. It doesn't say what they asked Mary. They just lay down and give their gifts. Did they ask Mary the child's name? That's Jesus. Well, what does Jesus mean? Salvation. Yahweh saves. Oh, that's the stories we heard. Those were the whispers I've been hearing all these years. One of my pastors that I look up to a lot in Ohio says this about the wise men. Here's the question for us to end. The, they brought the treasures of the world to Bethlehem. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to bring the treasures of your life and your world and your culture to the feet of Jesus. But here's the question for all of us at Advent. Did they leave Bethlehem with the treasure of the world in their heart? If so, then they're true worshipers. Did they leave Bethlehem with the treasure of the world in their heart? Here's where I want to end. I just want to give a space because some of us have the treasure of the world in our heart. Some of us are figuring out what's the thing at the center of me that I'm worshiping that's going to fulfill me. And some of us have not placed Jesus there yet. Some of us have not put our faith in Jesus yet. But I want to just ask us to just bow our heads, close our eyes. And I just want to give a space. If Jesus is our treasure, space to thank him and praise him that he is the treasure in your heart and you get to lay your treasures at his feet. If he is not the treasure of your heart, I just give you space to kind of do an audit and tell yourself, what is the treasure that I'm building my life on? So I just want to give us some space. I'm going to be quiet for a few moments and let us reflect on the treasure of Bethlehem. Father, thank you for the gift of space and silence and moments to pause and to reflect on questions that truly matter, like what our treasure ultimately is. God, thank you for the gift of this story of the wise men told by Matthew, of men who showed up and were able to see Jesus before anybody really, truly knew what was before them. God, we're all like the wise men. We meet Jesus and we don't fully appreciate or understand just what we have in the Messiah of Israel, what we have in the King of Israel, what the kingdom of God is truly like. So God, help us to treasure you more. Use this Advent season, this space, these gatherings to do that a little bit more. God, thank you for the treasure of Jesus Christ. We love you.